0: Chapter Eight of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars, by Harriet Lummis Smith. This recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Settling a Question. The ball Peggy had started rolled very rapidly. The best way is to rush the thing through while we are in the mood for it. Marian Keith said wisely, "If we keep rehearsing and try to make it a finished production instead of something offhand." it'll get to be a bore and we'll be deadly sick of it before it comes off though the weather continued extremely warm the antics of the thermometer failed to affect the girl's interest peggy found her duties unexpectedly light for after the others had heard the outline of her plot hardly a day passed when someone did not have a bright idea to suggest many of the songs as well were cooperative affairs and especially when they parodied the words of some familiar favorite composition proceeded with a rapidity which led amy to dub them the lightning brand rehearsals too were cheerfully informal and served the double purpose of entertainment and preparation of course the girls with the best voices were selected for the star roles and inevitably edith brinton was suggested for one of the leading parts peggy wondered if she were growing suspicious when edith's reluctance to accept the honor seemed to her due to something besides modesty a serious scruple held her back from urging edith to change her mind but the other girls did not share her feelings or even guess them and between cajolery and downright bullying edith was at length brought to terms the part assigned her was that of a highly patriotic maiden who when her companions are on the point of quitting after a day in the hayfields sings a stirring appeal that revives their ardor secretly peggy wished that edith had been given any other part At the conclusion of the performance, she was to sing the Star Spangled Banner, and if she were not heart and soul a patriot, that seemed to Peggy little short of sacrilege. The most difficult role to fill had been that of the farmer, and when Peggy suggested that Mag Whipple looked the part, Marion surprised her by immediate agreement. She does. She's perfect. Ask her if she'll take it. But I don't know that she can act at all. She won't have to. She'll only need to be natural. But she can't sing. Give her a speaking part. Her voice is just exactly right, Peggy. Nobody here could bluster in her style. Can't we have a luncheon scene and have her use her knife instead of her fork? Peggy felt a sudden qualm. We mustn't ask her to help us, Marion, and then make fun of her. That wouldn't be fair. I only said that to show how she'd fit into the part, Marion laughed. She'll do it all right, Peggy. She isn't a bit timid. Timid? Peggy repeated. No, she's anything but timid. But I'm not sure she'll do it. She rather looks down on this whole affair as just what might be expected of girls of our sort. But if you really think she'll do, I'll ask her. Mag's manner of receiving the invitation was a complete surprise. She looked at Peggy with a rather disagreeable smile. You'll get yourself into hot water, she said roughly, if you're not careful. I don't know what you mean. Those girls would raise the roof if they knew you'd ask me. They're so stuck on themselves that they'd think it was an awful thing for me to be in their old show. You're very much mistaken, Peggy replied with dignity. They told me to ask you. Who did? Well, Mary and Keith, for one. Mag's expression changed. For the first time since Peggy had known her, she lost her air of assurance. Did she honest, Peggy? Of course. Do you suppose I'd say so if it wasn't true? Mag stood, biting her lips. In her doubt and irresolution, she seemed a different girl. Do you suppose I could do it, Peggy? i don't want to make a fool of myself it's a funny part mag in a way we'll all make fools of ourselves we'll try to be ridiculous and amuse people the important thing is not to think about yourself and the impression you're making but just be natural now here's the part if you care to try it i'll do the best i can mag replied still with that unnatural meekness which made peggy feel as if someone else were speaking and you can tell me what's wrong alice cameron as well as peggy found the task which had been assigned her simpler than she had anticipated a handsome country place about a mile from the poplars had a fine lawn sloping away from the house to a clump of shrubbery which would make an ideal background for the performance with many misgivings alice called on the owner of the place mrs sylvester and explained what the girls were trying to do to her delight mrs sylvester obligingly agreed to give the use of her grounds and do everything in her power to make the performance a success Two weeks from the following Saturday was selected as a date convenient for all concerned, and the girls who had friends or relatives living near began to send special deliveries, urging them to attend. Peggy's first serious qualms were due to learning that the price of admission had been fixed at a dollar. A dollar? It isn't worth it. When I think how many of those songs I've turned out, it seems like a swindle making people pay such a price to hear them. Priscilla, to whom she had made her plaint, scoffed at Peggy's scruples people don't pay a dollar to hear good poetry they pay to be amused and really peggy i think it's going to be awfully funny and anyway it's for the red cross on the monday before the eventful saturday nature came to the girls assistance with two days of such uninterrupted rain that outside work was impossible rehearsing went on almost continually regardless of dampness the big porch became a stage on which the girls marched and danced and sang it was on the second afternoon that Edith Brinton again awakened Peggy's suspicions, for in the climax of the first act, when she was supposed to put heart into her flagging comrades, by her stirring appeal, she forgot her lines. Priscilla, who was playing the part of orchestra all by herself, had no choice but to stop, when Edith broke off and looked about her in confusion. "'Go on,' said Peggy complacently. "'I—why, I've forgotten—' "'Haven't you the lines with you?' And her tones betrayed irritations no i haven't i thought i'd learned them perfectly and i threw the paper away peggy bit her lips it had been a great deal of work to write out the lines for each performer besides her own copy i advise you to keep the next one she said dryly and if you forget don't stop hum something anything till you remember yes i will edith promised humbly she had succeeded by now in recalling the line that had slipped her memory and she made another start but either because of her embarrassment or for some less obvious reason the effect was anything but spirited and peggy's expressive countenance showed her dissatisfaction a most unpleasant thought had occurred to her what if edith should repeat her blunder on the night of the entertainment if she were really masquerading hiding disloyalty under an assumed name she might not think it beneath her notice to make this little entertainment a failure and it's all my fault peggy assured herself if it hadn't been for me the girls would have told mrs lockwood what they overheard and then we'd know what she is and who she is and i'm going to find out i won't run any chance of having her spoil anything on purpose the next day as it happened peggy and edith were among the girls assigned to the prosaic job of weeding onions at the hillcrest farm peggy made a point of keeping close to edith and watched for a moment when the other workers should be out of earshot her opportunity was so long in coming that she began to think she would have to try some other plan But just as she had reached that conclusion, the girl who had been working beside her rose and moved away. Peggy and Edith were left alone, with only a few rows of onions between them. Peggy waited until she was sure of being able to keep the excitement out of her voice. "'Miss Eichenberger,' she said at last, in conversational tones. "'Yes?' Edith looked up inquiringly. There was a little smile on her lips as her gaze met Peggy's. Slowly the smile faded and understanding came into her eyes. "'Understanding.' and a sort of dread. She made an effort to rally. Did—were you speaking to me? I was speaking to Mina Eichenberger, Peggy said grimly. Oh. She seemed to be considering whether to affect ignorance or to brave it out. As if realizing the futility of the former tactics, she weeded savagely for a moment before she said, I suppose they've been telling everybody. No, they haven't, Peggy replied. She was not sure whether she was pulling up weeds or onions. "'That's my fault, though,' she explained. "'If it hadn't been for me, they'd surely have told the one who ought to know.' "'And who's that?' "'Mrs. Lockwood, of course. If one of us has one name here and another at home, Mrs. Lockwood has a right to know about it.' She noticed that Edith's hands were trembling, and she checked herself. Whatever Mina Eichenberger's motive might have been in calling herself Edith Brinton, the sight of those shaking hands made Peggy very uncomfortable. She fixed her eyes upon the weeds to avoid the unpleasant spectacle, and then a faint voice said, Do you mean you wouldn't let them tell about me? Yes. At the time I didn't realize how serious it was. I thought those people might have made a mistake. The girl on the other side of the rows of onions lifted her head. They weren't mistaken, she said. I am Mina Eichenberger. So I see. But but I wanted to do something to help, and when I told my name— It seemed to me people always looked queer, as if they wondered. Oh, exclaimed Peggy. She looked across the onions, and something in her face seemed to encourage the other to go on. You couldn't blame me, then, could you? They'd heard such stories, even the Red Cross bandages. You heard about them, I guess. But that didn't make it any easier to have them look at you and think things. Besides, I was born in Germany. Oh, were you? murmured Peggy, but now her tone was pitying. "'I wasn't very old when we came away,' the girl went on, still with that strange passion in her voice. "'I can't even remember it. And America is my country, and I love it just as much as you do. And when this war came, I just had to do something.' "'But I can't see,' remonstrated Peggy, "'why you didn't use your own name. Why, lots of good Americans have German names, and everybody knows they're just as loyal as the rest of us.' The other girl was crying softly. "'I see now I was foolish,' she said. But I'd offered to do one or two things, and it just seemed to me that when people heard my name, they looked as if they were afraid to trust me. Anyway, there was always a reason why they didn't want my help just then. When I came here, I made up my mind that I'd have a name that sounded 100% American. And then those dreadful people. Did they do it on purpose? Peggy exclaimed. Why, no, they couldn't have. The girl laughed a little at her own unreasonableness you see my home is in the western part of the state and i never dreamed of seeing anybody i knew but those people are neighbors of ours and they were taking a tour in their machine and they happened to run across me wasn't it the worst luck dreadful agreed peggy and there was no reservation in her sympathy if in the beginning she had momentarily wondered if mina eichenberger were playing a part with her that doubt had vanished at the sight of the girl's tears she meant every word and it was not difficult for Peggy to see how a person of very sensitive nature, loyal to the core, might be betrayed into the folly of which this girl was guilty. Now that her apprehensions regarding Mina Eichenberger had been set at rest, Peggy finished her day's work in high spirits and went back to the poplars, resolved to take an early opportunity to tell Priscilla and Amy all about it. Alice Cameron had been assigned kitchen duty for the day. KP, the girls called the unfortunates, who parred vegetables and did other tame and domestic duties, instead of working in the open. But it was not the tediousness of her duties, as a K.P., Peggy was sure, which accounted for the expression on Alice's face when she encountered her in the hall. Anything wrong? she asked, with an anxious recollection of the nearness of Saturday. Well, something's happened. Can you come outside a minute? Might as well. Doesn't look as if my chance to get to one of those showers was very good at present. The two stepped out upon the porch, and Peggy took the letter her friend extended. As she opened it, She noticed approvingly the quality of the stationery and the artistic monogram. "'You must have aristocratic correspondence,' she said blithely. "'Oh, very,' Alice sniffed. "'Go on, Peggy, read it aloud.' And rather slowly, for the striking hand which made such a good appearance on the page was hard to read, Peggy complied. "'My dear Miss Cameron, it is with very great regret that I inform you that it will be impossible for me to have your entertainment at my place Saturday as I had planned.' my husband came home from the city yesterday in a state of complete collapse the condition of his nerves is such it will be necessary for him to be kept very quiet for some time i am happy to tell you however that i have made arrangements so you will be spared all inconvenience my friend mrs fitzmorris has agreed to have the entertainment at her place beechwood peggy broke off her reading and lifted a pair of very round eyes beechwood she gasped yes groaned alice talk about poetic justice but read the rest peggy peggy found her place with a little difficulty um where was i oh yes at her place beechwood which is if anything better suited than mine for such an affair i telephone the carpenters who are to put up the platform and they will begin work at beechwood tomorrow morning i will also see that notices are posted in the railway station and at the village post office calling attention to the change of place and i am hopeful that your entertainment will in no way suffer from the change. With deep regret and every wish for your success, very truly yours, Eleanor M. Sylvester. Peggy folded the letter and returned it to its envelope. What are we going to do? she demanded. What can we do? Alice parried. We might make an excuse to go to look the ground over and then dig up those carrot seeds. But they must have come up, Peggy, long ago. Oh... Peggy stood motionless, knitting her brows. But then I shouldn't think they'd have wanted us. Perhaps they're taking this way to show that they're not slackers, Alice suggested. Perhaps, or might not have realized that we were the ones who did it. Or perhaps, said Alice hopefully, some one of the servants pulled up the carrots when they showed above ground, so the family never knew. Whatever the explanation, it seemed evident that the Fitzmorrises bore no grudge, but Peggy was far from comfortable in her mind it makes you feel rather mean she said uneasily to do a thing like that and then accept people's hospitality all my fault sighed alice nothing of the sort i was in it up to my ears and i thought he deserved it but if i'd known we were going to ask a favor again they regarded each other ruefully and seeing that alice felt keenly the responsibility for the escapade peggy assumed an indifference she was far from feeling oh well she laughed if they can stand it i'm sure we can and if I'm going to get in line for one of those showers, I'd better not lose any more time. But as she went indoors, she was aware that her anticipations were no longer pleasant ones, and that she would be only too thankful when Saturday was over. End of chapter eight.